notes, but I just wanted to reemphasize a point I made last week. <clears throat> in uh, Revelation chapter 5, we'll be looking at that. And we're talking about why God the Son became a man. So as you're turning to Revelation chapter 5, let's, let's go to the Lord for prayer one more time that he anoints the uh, preaching of the word. <clears throat> Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that in a, in a world of fake news, a culture of lies, that there are people who still love your truth and long for your truth. And so I thank you, Lord, that in Kitsap County, there's a remnant, not, not just in this church, but in other churches and throughout the country and throughout the world, that there is a remnant that's not falling for the fake news and the lies, but instead uh, they love your truth. And so I pray, Lord, that your truth would be proclaimed from this pulpit, um, but I'm a fallible man. And you call me to preach your infallible, perfect word and so I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me with your spirit to cancel the man so that I would not misinterpret your word and lead anyone astray. And I pray, Lord, you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. And then I pray that uh, you would empower us to apply these truths to our lives. So on that day when your son returns, uh, he'll, he'll tell us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So we're going to try to finish our series on why God the Son became a man. And we talked about the, the main reasons why God the Son became a man is because God loves us. And uh, he sent his son to die for us, to save us from our sins. We needed the ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice to cover our sins because all sin, even the smallest sin, is, rebe is rebellion against God, the ultimately worthy being. And so God the Son became a man because God loves us. I think we still have the handouts there if you need them. So if you want to just grab one to read along and you could study it more, more deeper on, on your own at home. But God the Son became a man because God loves us and also to die for us and save us from our sins, to defeat death for us because Jesus rose from the dead he has conquered the grave. And um, the day will come when he'll raise us to immortality from the dead. So defeat death for us and to teach us truth, to set an example for us, to reveal the Father to us. Okay? And then last week we were talking about the fact that God the Son had to become a man to bring God's kingdom to earth. And we talked about the kingdom of God on earth right now in the hearts of believers whenever we bear the fruit of the spirit but there's also a physical future aspect of God's kingdom that Jesus of Nazareth will literally return to the planet earth and literally reign upon the earth for a thousand years it's called a millennial kingdom just read Revelation chapter 19 starting at verse 11 through all of Revelation chapter 20 and then I'll show you about um, the kingdom of God come to earth. And the Lord Jesus, see, God gave man dominion over the earth. And when Satan deceived us and stole the planet earth from man, okay, God wasn't going to just take it back being God. God said it's got to be a man who earns the right to take back the planet earth from Satan 
And so God the Son became a man. One of the reasons was to bring God's kingdom to earth, to rule over the earth, also to rescue Israel from her enemies. All nations will invade Israel in the last days, Zechariah 14, 1 to 5. And that's when Jesus will return and will conquer uh, the enemies of Israel. And we looked at a lot of different passages about God's kingdom coming to earth last week, but I, I just felt like something was missing, and that's Revelation chapter 5. So if you look at Revelation chapter 5, I want us to read this to see what it, was, what, what it is like in this, in, in this vision there where John has of uh, the Lamb getting ready to come to the planet Earth and take what is rightfully his. And it says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, that's interesting because back then, if you were in debt to somebody, okay, if somebody, or somebody owed you money, you could confiscate their property. And you would write down on a scroll what the property is, and then you would roll it up, and then on the outside you would write, this is the ransom price that has to be paid to redeem, to buy back this property. And then you would seal it seven times. Well, that seems to be what is spoken about here because you have a scroll written inside and then on the back, and then it's sealed with seven seals. Now, in the context of the book of Revelation, this appears to be the title deed to the planet Earth. That uh, basically, in order to redeem the planet Earth, a price has to be paid. Then verse 2 says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaim, proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. So in other words, planet Earth is toast. If nobody's worthy enough to open this scroll, it's all over. And so John wept. But then verse 5, in heaven, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And so Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's from the tribe of Judah. And he's from the line of David. He's a descendant of King David. And, um, and he has overcome. He is able to open the scroll through his death and his resurrection. Now, John wants to turn and look at the lamb, I mean, at the, the lion, and he sees a lamb. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having sent seven horns, horns are symbolic of power, so he's all-powerful, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the world. He's omnipresent, and he's all-powerful. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, if you know the book of Revelation, as he removes each seal, there's judgments upon the earth, okay? And the, what we would call the tribulation period and all. But verse 8, now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, 
and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and have redeemed, he paid the price to buy us out of the slavery of sin, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We're going to reign with Christ when he returns. Verse 11, then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Yeah, God the Father and God the Son being spoken of here. And to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. And so we see the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who has conquered and won the right to take back the planet Earth from the God of this age, the, this uh, fallen angel called Satan. Um, and he is worthy. And so worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy enough to bring God's kingdom to earth. That's one of the reasons why God the Son became a man. Okay? And so when the powers that be try to intimidate us, you know, we had uh, human government shutting down the church. I mean, the government wants to give us medical advice. Give us medical advice. But don't ever even imply that you're the head of the church. There's only one head of the church, of the called-out assembly of believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus alone is the head of the church. So we might have to say someday, if this guy out of the White House, or these guys out of the World Economic Forum, or if Mr. Bill Gates, who wants us eating bug sandwiches... If they push us around, even if they cuff us and take us away, we've got to look at these guys and we've got to tell them, worthy is the lamb. I don't worship the state. We're the best citizens this country has ever known, Christians. We submit to the governing authorities. But when the governing authorities try to play God, you know, Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God what is God's. Right now our government wants what only belongs to God. I will not worship the state. Why not? Because worthy is the lamb. The ultimate, ultimately worthy thing is God himself. And I will worship God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. The three-person God, the triune God. Um, but when the state wants me to bend the knee to it, you know, in ancient times, they wanted us to say Caesar is Lord. The Christians said, no, Jesus is Lord. Okay? 
So worthy is the lamb. I mean, it's like four words in the English. It's no big deal, right? No, that's the difference between heaven and hell. You're either saying worthy is the lamb or you got something else, some false idol, whether it's the, uh, the human government, um, whether it's yourself or the toys you own. No, it's, like it's worthy as a lamb. You know, the word became flesh ought to be a rallying cry for us. Jesus is Lord ought to be a rallying cry for us. And worthy as the lamb ought to be a rallying cry for us. So the Lord, the King, King Jesus has won the right through his death and resurrection to the incarnation, God the Son becoming a man, and then his death on the cross for our sins, and then his resurrection from the dead to conquer death for us, he has won the right. He has earned the right to take, take back planet Earth from Satan and his minions. Now, I'm telling you, you got to decide which side you're on. It's like, I'm, I'm just kind of like, I'm kind of neutral. I'm kind of in between. I hear politicians saying that. I hear theologians saying that when their buddies are watering down the Bible. I don't want to get involved. I'm not called to get involved in this. Let me tell you, you know, I got to ask you, which side are you on? Jesus of Nazareth is going to bring the kingdom of God to earth. You better be on his side. You better say, worthy is the lamb. And, um, but I don't know. You know. Things are going to get tough. We live in those days where Isaiah said, woe is those who call, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're living in those days now when uh, the government wants more and more power. Now, keep in mind, the ancient Caesars, the ancient Babylonian kings like Nebuchadnezzar, they wanted all powerful. They, they wanted all pow power. Uh, they wanted complete control of people's lives. So did Hitler and Stalin. Well, well then what's the, what's the difference now? The difference now is with technology, the government has the power to spy on you on all time. In other words, it can be a better counterfeit God than it could have in the past. Rome, Roman Empire was powerful, but you could, you could get off the grid. Try getting off the grid today. Big government is, is watching you like a hawk. I tell my wife my shoulders are... My shoulders hurt. The next day I get on Facebook, first three posts are all ads for uh, sore shoulders. Okay? Big governments, why? they're collecting all the data. You tick off the wrong person, they're going to come after you. You're a loud Christian, you preach Jesus loudly till he comes back. If you're a quiet Christian, you preach, Christian, uh, you preach Jesus quietly. But you do what God's called you to do, um, but he's going to bring his kingdom back to this earth. And unless Bill Gates repents, he's not going to be a happy camper. Okay? And, um, and so uh, one of the reasons why God the Son became a man is to bring God's kingdom to earth and then to rescue the nation of Israel from her enemies and to rescue his people, his followers. And now I'm looking at point number eight. He also came to defeat the works of Satan. To defeat the works of Satan. Satan was this high-ranking, probably the highest thing that God had created. I, I think um, the most in, intelligent being, the number one being among the angels, because even Michael the Archangel doesn't mess with him, according to the book of Jude. Michael the Archangel says, hey, you know, they got an argument over the body of Moses. What, what's that talking about? I'm not even, I don't even want to speculate. 
But they got an argument about the body of Moses, and uh, Michael the archangel didn't want to lock horns with him. He said, the Lord rebuke you. So Satan created as Lucifer the light, and you know, sun of the morning, star of the morning, the light morning star, the, the one who enlightens. This guy's titles were like off the charts. The ancient Jewish tradition said that uh, they speculated, this was even before Christ, the ancient Jews speculated that Lucifer and his angels found out that they were going to serve man, humans, who were created a little while for a little while under the angels, but that someday glorified humans would be promoted above the angels. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, we would judge the angels. So ancient Jewish tradition said um, that they think that Satan and his angels didn't like that plan. Why should we minister to inferior beings and then they get promoted and rule over us? I got a better idea. Let's do things our way. But I, there's actually a time you probably could have referred to Lucifer as the firstborn over all creation. Because he was like the top-ranking angel, but he didn't want to give up that position. He wanted to be like God. And now we see Jesus, the God-man. And now Jesus is the greatest thing in all creation because not only is he the creator, but by adding a human nature to his divine person, by adding a human nature, he now is the firstborn, the ruler, the sovereign over all creation. And, um, but, but Lucifer, you know, we, we, we pray for stuff. If I could just get more stuff, more money, better car, better house. Hey, a lot of times God says no. You know why? Because he loves us. Maybe you're out there and you can handle a brand new sports car. Maybe Phil Fernandez can't. Okay. So we're praying for stuff that might become idols in our life, and God loves us, and he's saying, no, I'm not going to give you that, okay? Let me tell you, Lucifer had it all. You think Bill Gates got a lot? Lucifer had more than him, and it went to his head, and he wanted to be like God. He wanted to replace God, okay? And so that's the only choice. You've got to choose which side you're on. Am I going to be serving Jesus in God's kingdom, or am I going to try to do my own thing? So Lucifer decided, I'm going to try to lead mankind astray. You know, Revelation 12 tells us that the serpent, it was actually Lucifer. It was Satan speaking through the serpent. Just read Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, verse 12. But in uh, chapter 3 of Genesis, after Adam and Eve fell, God says this, and I will put enmity, I'll put hatred between you. He's talking to the serpent. He's talking to Satan. I'll put hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So right there in the garden is the first, C.S. Lewis pointed this out, it is the first hint or the first proclamation, for that matter, of the gospel, the good news that God will send a man born of woman who will crush the head of the serpent, but he himself will suffer in the process. And so because Adam and Eve were the whole human race, this went out to the whole human race. So they taught to their children, they taught their children and their grandchildren, and on and on that a suffering Savior will come and will defeat 
Satan. And, um, and so we have that. And the book of Revelation talks about it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Gives a quick statement about that. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death, Jesus, through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So two main reasons why God the Son became a man, to die on the cross for our sins and save us from our sins and to defeat the works of Satan. Okay? And that all entailed by defeating the works of Satan, that enables him to bring God's kingdom to earth. All these people out there, you know, they, they think they're just serving themselves. If you're serving yourself, you're actually serving Satan. Okay? You're, you've joined the kingdom of darkness that is fighting the kingdom of light. And, uh, but Jesus will return and will defeat uh, the works uh, of, of Satan. There's a, since we're in Hebrews, there's a passage I was just reading in my class just a couple days in our devotion and I just want to look at Hebrews. We'll look at Hebrews 1, verse 4, where Jesus, it says about Jesus having become so much better than the angels. Hebrews 1, verse 4, having become so much better than the angels as, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So it's, it's kind of like God the Son added a human nature, so for a little while was lower than the angels. But then Jesus Christ, we're in Christ. He represents redeemed mankind. And the day is going to come when he's going to be exalted above the angels, which is why Paul could say one of the freakiest verses in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 6, don't, don't you know that we will someday judge the angels? We're going to stand in authority over the angels. And, uh, and, and so... God the Son, by becoming a man in his human nature, his divine nature, he's greater than anything. But in his human nature, he was for a little while lower than the angels, but now he's exalted in his human nature. He has his resurrection body, and now he's exalted above the angels, not only in his human nature, but in his divine nature, uh, not only in his divine nature, but in his human nature as well. But glorified humanity will also. We're not, we're not divine. We're not God. Only Jesus is God. We're not God. But glorified humanity, when Jesus comes back and changes us in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be exalted above the angels. Now, I'm trying to be a high school teacher, and I get lousy evaluations. And I'm trying to be a pastor, and I don't always do a good job. I'm in water over my head all the time praying, Lord, Bail me out of this one. Help me here, you know. And, uh, and I'm a husband. And uh, my wife's a good woman. And if she wasn't a good woman, I'd be getting bad evaluations from her too. Okay? So it's like, what in the what? Do you really want me ruling over the angels? Um, but God said, hey, I'll get it done. I'll make the... When God calls us to do something, if we yield to him and his will... He makes the changes that need to be made. 
You know, we always pray, Lord, you know, bring me to higher ground. Give me more opportunity for ministry. And then we complain that everything's going wrong in our lives. Well, he's, he said, hey, you want to you wanna get promoted? I got to stretch you to the end of your character so that you just give up and just turn it over to me. But look at this beautiful passage that the author of Hebrews quotes from one of the Psalms of David, Psalm 8, verse, I think it's verses uh, uh, 4 to 6. But he talks about Jesus in Hebrews 2, 5 uh, to around verse 10. For has he not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels? But one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man? Jesus said, I'm going to call myself the son of man. Or the son of man that you take care of him. It's like, you know, planet Earth is this tiny little dot in the big, great big universe it's a tiny dot in our solar system, which is a tiny dot in our galaxy, which is a tiny dot in the, soul, in the universe. If man's just a dot on planet Earth, what, what, we're not significant. What is man that you are mindful of? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor and sent, set him over the works of your hands and have put all things in subjection under his feet. And then he says, the author of Hebrews, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all these things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels by taking on a human nature, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death um, for everyone. And so what we see is that, you know, you could add this as another reason why God the Son became a man, to exalt glorified mankind. That saved mankind, we're justified the moment we first believe, we're declared righteous by God. Then we enter into the process of sanctification, where God starts setting us more and more apart for his holy purposes, starts maturing us in the Lord, and the final stage will be glorification. When even you realize if you died right now, like our, our buddy Arthur, big guy, Arthur died and went to be with the Lord. He's not glorified yet. He's, his spirit is perfect with, in the presence of God. He's got consciousness, but God's not done with him yet. You think, God's, well, God's not done with me. Yeah, well, God's got a lot more work to do on us than he has with Arthur. Arthur's coming come a long way. He's got no, no more sin up there with, with G, King Jesus, but God still got to raise his body from the dead. So he still awaits that full final stage of glorification when we see Jesus and we'll be like him. Where flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, so we must be changed in the twinkling of an eye and our mortal bodies put on immortality. And so another reason why God the Son became a man was to exalt glorified mankind above the angels. So then 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3, Paul Paul could say, how come when you guys have disputes, you take it to the world, to the judges of the world? If you got a dispute, isn't there any Christian among you smart enough to judge over you? And he's like, tell him, he says, look, he tells the Corinthians, look, 
Some don't you guys know? Someday we're going to judge the angels. And if the glorified church is going to judge over the angels, can't we settle our disputes among ourselves, amongst ourselves, rather than airing our dirty laundry before the world? And so one of the reasons why God the Son became a man was to exalt glorified mankind above uh, the angels. Uh, also, God the Son became a man to perfectly fulfill the law. We could not fulfill the law on our own. Look, look, look at Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. When Jesus got baptized, Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17, when Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist, you know, John the Baptist's baptism was for people to repent, to turn from their sins, metanoia in the Greek, to make a complete turnaround, turn away from your sins and turn towards God, okay? Come back to God. And so that's what the baptism was for. Why in the world would Jesus get baptized? And that's what John the Baptist was thinking. Why would I baptize him? He ought to be baptizing me. And But it's like, it's like Jesus is saying, hey, I don't want to identify with the temple priests, the Sadducees. They don't really believe. I don't want to identify with the Jewish rabbis, the Pharisees. They think they're going to save themselves by works. I'll identify with this non-accredited rabbi in the wilderness named John the Baptist because his ministry is from God. I'll identify with that ministry by being baptized into this ministry about repentance of sin. Now, Jesus had no sin, but he had to identify with his people, the Jewish people, and their sin. And what happens when you baptize in the baptism of repentance from sin, when you baptize a guy who's got no sin? He comes out of the water, and the Holy Spirit comes down upon him like a dove. And a voice from God the Father from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, he's saying, this is the first human to walk the earth that's perfectly pleasing me and obeying me from the heart, has absolutely no sin, and he happens to be God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, become a man. And... Um, um, and so he came uh, to perfectly fulfill the law. Look at Matthew 5 and verse 17. Jesus was being accused, because he was telling people, you can't save yourself by, by works of the law. You got, the only way you can be saved is through faith in me. They're saying, wow, this guy's anti-law. He's against the law. And so Jesus said in verse 17 of Matthew 5, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Okay? And so Jesus came to fulfill the law, to perfectly obey it, not to destroy it, not to abolish it. And he also came to fulfill the prophecies of the prophets of the coming Messiah who would come and save us. I mean, you know, the Bible's collection of 66 books, it could be pretty... Complicated. That's why we need some people to spend full time 
their full-time job needs to be studying God's word. Okay? It's, it's not easy, but let me tell you, you could sum up the whole Bible, the whole theme of the Bible, you could sum it up in one word, and that's Jesus. The atheist right here is the problem of evil and human suffering. Like we Christians, never, we're never aware of evil and human suffering. Let me tell you, we're the ones that built the hospitals. We built the orphanages, okay? We, we started the food kitchens, okay? We know about suffering. But we know that the whole Bible, if it wasn't for the problem of evil, God would not have written the Bible. The Bible is God's answer to the problem of evil and human suffering. And what is that answer? It's the incarnation, God the Son becoming a man. The death and resurrection and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus came and this is what he's like, this is what he did. The book of Acts, the history of the early church, and then the epistles in the book of Revelation, how we Christians should now live, okay? But it's all about Jesus. Jesus even told the, the Pharisees in the Gospel of John, you guys act like you're followers of Moses. Moses is writing about me. It's all about Jesus. Life is all about Jesus. The meaning of life is to personally know Christ and to make him known. Everything else is window dressing. So whatever it is that you do, you do all things for King Jesus. You offer it up to King Jesus. When you're having a bad day, when you're suffering, offer it up to the Lord. You know, we often think, we Americans, we think we don't want to suffer. We want uh, to be exempt from suffering. Um, and kind of, kind of, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I got back pain. I don't like back pain, okay? I don't like suffering. Uh, I don't like being hungry. Now, I'm very rarely hungry because I'm an American. Okay? We're spoiled. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, I don't like suffering. But when, when we do suffer, God says, you get a little glimpse of what my son went through. Okay? I mean, problem of evil. What's the, what's the most wicked thing, the most unjust thing that ever occurred in the history of mankind? It was when God... God the Son became a man and we killed him. Well, was God able to bring good out of that? Yeah, we'd all still be hellbound if it wasn't for the, the, the death and resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus came to perfectly fulfill the law. That's why Hebrews 4, verse 15, Hebrews chapter 4, In verse 15, tells us about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay? And, um, and so Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. He was without sin. Don't forget when Jesus went into the wilderness, and you can see, you can see God just, um, just as God, the laws of nature, that when the mindless, Thomas Aquinas argued, when the mindless things of nature move towards the same goals time and time again, the laws of nature, physical laws of nature, is because there's a mind governing nature. The laws of nature are actually an argument for God, but it's the same with human history. Human history actually makes sense. 
It's going somewhere. It's moving in the direction. It will have a climax. The second coming of Christ in the kingdom of God um, coming to earth. And, um, and so uh, you can see the, the, the pattern of the, uh, the Jews in, in, uh, in bondage, but then they go through the water of the Red Sea, and then what happens? They're in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus goes through the waters of baptism and then he's in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. And what happens? He gets tempted by Satan. You know, when you, when you say the, um, the Our Father, you know, which is really a pattern for prayer, but you could quote scripture as prayer, so I have no problem praying the Our Father. And you say, lead us, I've been begging God, lead, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one. Because if you're in the battle, you've got a target on your back, okay? But does God ever lead us into evil? He led his son, the Holy Spirit led his son into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And um, because he had to be tempted because the first Adam failed when he was tempted. Uh, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus, you know, he's fasting... Satan says, turn this rock into bread. And man does not live on bread alone, but on every utterance of the mouth of God. By the way, he quoted from Scripture, from Deuteronomy, with each temptation. We need to quote from Scripture. King David says, thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Okay, Psalm 119, verse 11. And um, a few sins, immorality and idolatry, the Bible says flee. Don't quote Scripture, flee. Most temptations, we can just quote scripture. But the Lord Jesus, he went, he was tempted three times by Satan. And then Satan tempted him more later on, waited for a more opportune time to, tempt, to test him. And um, yet Jesus conquered. He said no to sin. And so he perfectly fulfilled the law. He perfectly fulfilled the Father's plan for his life. Okay. You know, turn the rock into bread. No, man does not live on bread alone, but on every utterance of the mouth of God, from the word of God. Um, throw yourself off the temple. God will send his angels to, to minister to you, to, uh, to catch you. He's like, no, I'm not going to put God to the test. You don't test God. And then when Satan says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, no, you worship God alone. Okay, and um, but Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. Pilate couldn't even see any charge against him, and Pilate was a Jew hater. But he couldn't see any any reason to punish this guy. He eventually caved into the pressure from the Jewish religious leaders. But um, but Jesus came. God commanded man to perfectly obey His law, and so man had. To perfectly obey that law, uh, if mankind's going to be redeemed, and that's what God the Son, who really became a man, became one of us without ceasing to be God, and he perfectly fulfilled the law. And, um, and so why did God the Son become a man? Because God loves us, uh, to die for us, save us from our sins, defeat death for us, teach us truth, to bring God's kingdom to earth, to rescue Israel from our enemies, to set an example for us to reveal the Father to us, 
to perfectly fulfill the law, to exalt glorified mankind above the angels. And, uh, and then the final one that we'll, we'll talk about is to experience our pain. To experience our pain. We say, well, look at what about God? What about, you know, evil and human suffering and what we go through? We got a God. You know, God, God the Father, the, the, the triune God knows everything. But God the Father never experienced, you know, he got his knowledge of human suffering by foreknowing everything. Um, he didn't get it through experiencing that pain. God the Holy Spirit never became a man. But God the Son became a man. We actually have a, a God. You know, we've had politicians tell us they feel our pain. We got a God who really did feel our pain. Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. Some of you feel like you're alone and nobody cares. Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. He knows what it's like to be abandoned, even by his friends. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. Some of you are suffering. He knows what it's like to suffer. Our friend Arthur just died. We got another friend, Vince, who's on that path. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer, and he knows what it's like to die. You can experience our pain. So back in Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful, be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation, to make atonement, to make satisfaction for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. When you're tempted or tested and you feel all alone, look, Jesus has been there. And he overcame, and through his power, we can overcome. And then um, in verse uh, 4, uh, verse 15 of chapter 4, we read that earlier, but look at it again. Chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, we, we suffer, we hurt. I remember going to my dad's memorial, my mom's memorial. Okay? We suffer and we hurt. I've had buddies like Arthur in this church where we've been around for, what, 35 years now. And we've had a lot of godly brothers and godly sisters go to be with King Jesus. And sometimes we, we hurt. Sometimes, you know, the boss at work treats you bad or something. I, I work for Christians. They treat me real good. But um, sometimes you feel alone, abandoned, betrayed. You feel like you're suffering. Jesus can really sympathize with our weakness. You know, what if you're a Muslim? You think Allah cares that one of his followers is suffering? I'm telling you, the 
strict Muslims don't even cry out to Allah for comfort. They're not going to get any comfort from him. All they have is just, you know, and I think Allah is real. I think Allah is a, is a big, powerful, bloodthirsty, uh, fallen angel. Okay? Um, but the God of the Bible, you, you can be hurt and say, no, no one knows what I'm going through. Telling you, brothers and sisters, Jesus knows. Nobody hurts like I'm hurting right now. Jesus knows what it's like to hurt. I'm in pain. Nobody knows my pain. No, Jesus knows your pain. And he multiplied that a thousandfold. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like. So why God the Son became a man, main reason to die for our sins die for us and die in our place, take our punishment for us, to save us, to conquer Satan. But there's so many other reasons as well. I'm just going to close the series on why the God, why God the Son became a man. With John chapter 16, Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's encouraging his disciples. John 16 and verse 33, and he says to them, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm, I'm not here to give you fake news, brothers and sisters. I'm not here to sell you a bill of goods. Okay? I'm not here to lie to you. If I understand God's word... And I understand the current news, not the fake news. Things are going to get really hot in the kitchen. Things are going to get really, really bad. We're going to be suffering in the very near future if we're not suffering already. Okay? But we serve a God who knows what it's like to suffer. We serve a God who knows what it's like to die and to be abandoned. And so we know we, we serve a God who feels our pain. The Great Commission, we're to go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the triune God, teach them all things. But what did Jesus say? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I'm not going to lie to you. Things are going to get pretty bad, but I'm going to tell you the truth. King Jesus is with you. You might lose your job. You might lose your house. You might lose your freedom. You might lose your life. But King Jesus is with you, and through King Jesus, we will overcome. And so, brothers and sisters, as we get ready to receive the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, I'm just going to tell you, and you might be thinking, he ended on a depressing note. I didn't end on a depressing note. This whole world is burning up but worthy is the Lamb. 